Let's jump right into the message today. Um, let me say one quick thing about the fasting and prayer. Besides, besides the prayer bracelet in the back, besides that half sheet of paper explaining what our season of fasting and prayer is all about, uh, we also have a prayer wall in the back of the church on the other side, and that is where you can have a prayer request. You can write it down, and you could say, during this time of Lent, these 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday, Lord, I really want to see you do a, a miraculous work either in my life or in the life of somebody that I really love and care about. And so you write that prayer request on the paper. You can roll it up and you can put it into the prayer wall. And then we as a church will also be praying for you and for your prayer requests. Now, the, the follow-up question to that is, well, if I stick the prayer request into the prayer wall, how am I going to remember what the prayer is? Well, that's why God allowed us to invent cell phones because you can take your cell phone out and you can click a real quick photo of your prayer request and then roll it up and put it in the wall and then you'll have it in your cell phone with you. So, sound good? I see Luke Sanders back there. Luke, I want to thank you for last week bringing the word in our, in our preaching time. Uh, because last week, uh, Jesus had launched his ministry with his own baptism. He was willing to be immersed, to identify with the rest of humanity and us sinners, and to say that we are turning from our sins to God, and we're asking him to cleanse us and start a brand new life. Jesus said, I'm starting my public ministry with his own baptism by John the Baptist. And God totally approved that move that Jesus made because the Spirit of God came down in the form of a dove. A voice came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, right? So then Jesus, this is what Luke talked about last week, right out of that baptism, I mean, his hair still could have been wet. The beard still could have been dripping from the baptism. Jesus went off into the wilderness and spent 40 days going without food, which is why are we doing fasting and prayer during the 40 days? This is what Jesus did. And, and as he went without food, uh, he became tempted by the devil. He tried to get him to sin against God, to disobey God. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he always overcame the devil using the same tools that Jesus gives us. This is the beauty of it. Because somebody says, ah, well, Jesus, he's the son of God. I mean, of course, Jesus is going to get tempted by the devil and he's going to go, get away from me. And Satan's just going to go, oh, I've got nothing on him. But Jesus, he resisted the devil in temptation the same way that you and I will. He resisted with the word of God because Jesus said, it is written, right? Uh, if you're the son of God, turn the stones into bread. Mm, it is written. Scripture says you, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that God says. So Jesus resisted with the word of God and with the spirit of God. And as followers of Jesus, he's given us the same tools to overcome temptation. Isn't that encouraging? So that was last week. Um, this week, we're going to jump right into a new message where Jesus, in his launching of his ministry, he's going to go back to his own hometown. And we're going to see what kind of a reception that Jesus got going back to his own hometown. Will you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we believe that you are our servant king. And that even that phrase sounds a little paradoxical. It sounds like, how can you be a servant and be a king at the same time? But you said that you didn't come to be served. You came to earth. You came out of heaven to show us the way back to God, and you did it by serving. 
and giving your life as a ransom for us. So, Lord, we want to learn more about you, the servant king. We want to grow closer in our relationship with you. And so, Lord, help us to get rid of all the distractions, all the, the cares of this world that, that tend to cloud our ability to see you. Lord, help us to understand who you are, to, to tune in and to really focus on, on who you are. So open up our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to us today. We hope that at the end of this service, Lord, we'll be a little more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus has now uh, been baptized. He's now overcome the, the devil after 40 years, uh, 40 years, after 40 days of being tempted. And I, I want you to notice something that it said. I don't know if Luke brought it out or not, but at the end of Jesus' temptation, right? What does he do? He says he he says the devil left Jesus, but this is the sad part. This is where I thought, man, if G if he could do that for Jesus, maybe I could do that too. But it says the devil left Jesus, quote, until an opportune time. Right? You think you're going to be uh, free from temptation? You've overcome temptation one time. <laughs> Hallelujah! I'm free. That doesn't tempt me anymore. Well. He will leave you, the enemy will leave you, quote, until an opportune time. So you always got to keep your guard up. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, he says, stand, take your stand and put on the armor of God. You got to do that every single day. You know the hard part about the Christian life? It's daily. You can have a great day today. And when you wake up tomorrow, you still got to put on the armor of God. Amen? Amen. So... Let's, let's go to Jesus. He's been victorious over the devil in 40 days, and he's riding high. He's going back to his own hometown. It says right here in Luke chapter 4, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues. Now, the synagogue was like the church. I mean, we call this a church, even though the church isn't a building right? Synagogue actually means assembly. And synagogue is a great word that we translate into church because the church actually is the assembly of God's people gathered together. So the building could be empty and you'd call it a church, but it's really not a church until we're all here like we are right now. So this is the real church. And Jesus went back to the synagogue. He's going back to his own hometown uh, he's being praised by everyone. Jesus is popular. People uh, love him. They love his teaching. He, uh, you know, everywhere Jesus goes, it says people were amazed by his teaching. He taught as one who had authority and not as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So when Jesus taught, he taught with a ring of authority. And it, it, people were just compelled to tune in and listen. The, Jews sent, the Jewish leader sent guards one time in the temple in Jerusalem to arrest Jesus. And they came back empty-handed. And they said, where's Jesus? You're supposed to arrest him. And he said, no one ever spoke the way this man speaks. Like, I'm not going to arrest him. And so Jesus continued on in his ministry, and it wasn't his time. So Jesus is going back to his own hometown. His hometown was Nazareth, right? That's where Joseph and Mary were from. They ended up going down to Bethlehem for the census, but when the census was over and they fled the persecution of Herod the Great and they went to Egypt and now they were going back to Israel, they decided to go back to their own hometown of Nazareth. And so that's where Jesus was raised. So Jesus is 30 years old now, according to Luke's gospel, right? 
So 30 years of his life, or near 30 years of his life, maybe 25, Jesus had lived in this town, growing up with people, going to synagogue every Sabbath for worship, right? Being taught by the rabbis, doing his job as the apprentice of his father Joseph the carpenter. And he's lived a godly life. The Bible says that Jesus never sinned. He never did anything that was wrong. Never did anything offensive to God. That would get the attention of the crowd, I would think. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't do any miracles. So he's just this nice guy that's friendly to everybody. And everybody says, oh yeah, Jesus, he's great. But they didn't think of him as anything more than just a good guy until he comes back to Nazareth. And now things are going to change. So it says in verse 16 and 17, when he came back or he came to the village of Nazareth, the, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue, right? That's the gathering of the Jewish people on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Now, I love the scroll of Isaiah because in Jerusalem, and Lisa and I, when we went there in November, we went to this place called the Book of the Shrine in Jerusalem. And in a major column in the middle of that room, there is a long piece of ancient paper. And that is a scroll. And it is a continual scroll. It's 24 feet long all the way around that column. And 24 feet around it, it was one single document in Hebrew from the first century, and it was the entire copy of the book of Isaiah. So when we talk about unrolling the scroll, it's a pretty long scroll. Fortunately for Jesus, it was already, this passage that he's going to quote from is Isaiah 61, which means it's near the end of the scroll of Isaiah, which, you know, Hebrew goes backwards to forwards, like from us. They would say right to left, but I would say it's going backwards. So Jesus didn't have very long to unroll the scroll. That was the good news. So he, you know, a few feet, and he's already in chapter 61. So he goes back and he says he found the place on the scroll of Isaiah where it was written, right? So in most synagogue services, the pattern kind of is, and I've got a photo of a synagogue there if you want to see it. Um, there's a, a modern-day synagogue in Jerusalem, right? So God's people gather together. They're worshiping God. They're at the front of the area, that's where the reading of the Torah is. They say the Shema, which is uh, the Hebrew for, you know, that's where the people say, uh, 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 hear, O Israel, right? Hear, O Israel, which is the people of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's what every uh, Jewish assembly said as they began their service. And then they would have a reading from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, and then they would have a reading from the prophets. In this day, by God's providence, they just happened to choose the prophecy of Isaiah. The beauty of Isaiah is Isaiah is almost, Isaiah is called the evangelist of the Old Testament. Why is that? Because if you read the, the, all through the book of Isaiah, you'll find more prophecies about the Messiah, about the coming Savior of the world in Isaiah than you'll find in any other book of the Hebrew Scriptures. So Jesus goes to a messianic passage. And I think most of the people in that synagogue that had any teaching at all, they knew that what Jesus was reading was a messianic passage. But when Jesus gets to it, he's going to read it maybe in a, in a whole new way, in a way that was unexpected for those people. Look what Jesus says as he's reading. He says, The Spirit of the Lord 
is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Wow, that is an amazing prophecy. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus is saying here, if he's referring to himself, and we know from reading this passage that he is, Jesus is saying this passage is talking about the Messiah. And the, the predictions of what the ministry of the Messiah is going to have, that is going to be fulfilled by me, right? The Messiah, the anointed one, the one that God says, you're going to be the savior of the world, he will usher in an era that is going to fulfill all the promises that God has made to his people, right? Now, you look at that, you look at that passage up there, and you can see five different aspects of Jesus' ministry, five different things that Messiah would be doing when he was doing his ministry here on earth, right? First one, he says he's going to bring good news to the poor, right? We've got our Bible group uh, guys on Tuesday night, our men's life group. We meet over at Jim Tisthammer's house. And thank God, Jim, you're in church today after a little heart trouble. But I'll say a bad pun and say, you know, he hardly skipped a beat, and here he is. But um bum so, glad you are with us today, but in his house on Tuesday night, we have the guys gather, and we are going through Romans, and in Romans, the key verse is where Paul says in, in chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Christ. I am not ashamed about the gospel. It's the power of God that saves everyone who believes. So, when you hear the good news about Jesus, there the power of the gospel is at work. Because the Holy Spirit comes down and with the Word of God and it's working in your life and it's saying, this is who God is. This is the revelation of God's Messiah, His Savior. This is Jesus. You need to learn about Him. You need to know Him. You need to turn your life over to Him and He will lead you in the right path, right? So, good news to the poor. That's one of the ministries of Jesus. The second one, proclaiming liberty to the captives, right? And not just captives to sickness or captives it, because there were a lot of slaves back there in the first century, you know, literally captives, you know, take people taken captive in war. The Romans did that all the time. You know, half of the people that lived in the city of Rome or more were slaves, right? So that the captives would be released, but not just captives to uh, slavery, captives to sin and sickness and demons, people that were demonized and you know, possessed by these evil spirits. Jesus says he was going to proclaim liberty. He was going to give sight to the blind, right? I think that's where the, the captain of the, of the writer of Amazing Grace got those words. You know, I was blind, but now I see. And Jesus gave sight to many people who are blind. He set free those who are oppressed. And finally, he's announcing the time of the Lord's favor. You know, a lot, I think a lot of people, when they thought, the Messiah were coming in that day, like the people sitting there in the synagogue, like you guys. So picture yourself, you know, a Jewish person, and you're in the synagogue in the first century, and he says, I'm announcing the time of the Lord's favor. The way you most likely would have interpreted that is, great, that means Messiah is going to be political. That means we're under the Roman boot. We're being, we've been occupied by the Romans for like 80, 90 years now. 
If Messiah comes, he's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to be political. He's going to reestablish the kingdom of David. This is going to be awesome, right? But to announce the time of the Lord's favor, they were expecting a political Messiah, and Jesus shows up and he says, I'm a spiritual Messiah. Because even if I rescued you from the power of Rome, you would still die in your sins, right? Remember Peter, Peter, right after Peter says, uh, hey, G Jesus says, well, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right on, Peter. God's spirit revealed that to you, right? And then he starts talking about going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed by the Jews and I'm going to be arrested and they're going to mock me and spit me and beat me and they're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And Peter hears those words about Jesus going to Jerusalem and suffering and dying. And he says, no, you should never have that happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus turns and looks to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Calls Peter Satan. And he says, you don't have in mind the things of God. You've got in mind the things of men. And I remember reading in, in a theology class on that. And, and here was the line. The line was, if Peter got his way, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified and died. But if Peter got his way, he would have not seen the suffering of Jesus, but Peter would have still died in his sins. So Jesus has to be the spiritual Messiah before he's going to come back and be the King of kings and Lord of lords and, and, and rule the entire world like he's going to when he returns someday, right? So he's, Jesus is going to do all this. And notice these, the, the group of people that Jesus is talking to. He says, good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, setting free those who are oppressed. I mean, Jesus is talking to the marginalized outsider people in society, the people who desperately needed God's help. They were longing for, they were waiting God's salvation. And now Jesus is saying to them, hey, the time of the Lord's favor is here because your time, the, the time you've been hoping for to be set free and all that stuff, that time has come. That time has come because Jesus is here. So look what it says. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. You can imagine when they, he says that thing so unexpected, like he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And they're looking at him like, who does this guy think he is? And he's making, those are some outrageous claims. Only Messiah could fulfill that. And he's, and what's he saying? And so they're all looking at him like, what's going to come out of his mouth next, right? So here's point number one that's real simple, but I, I don't want you to miss it. Jesus announced his messianic ministry right there. He's saying, Messiah has come and you're looking at him, right? Messianic ministry. It fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. Very similar, by the way, to the woman at the well. Remember in John chapter 4, the woman in the well in Samaria? And she was a Samaritan. She wasn't even Jewish, which kind of shows, I, you're going to see where Jesus is going in this passage with Messiah for all nations and not just for the Israelites. But when the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan, she was a foreigner, and they're having this talk, and Jesus is saying, hey, you want some living water? I, I got the living water. You, you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And the woman says, give me some of that water. 
And he says, well, go call your husband. And she's like, oh, let's don't go there. Because uh, she had five husbands and the man she was living with wasn't her husband. And, and so she changes the subject. Hey, and they finally get to the conversation and she says, uh, you know, when Messiah comes, he's going to explain all this to us. We don't have to worry about where the right place to worship is or how we're going to worship in spirit and truth or how that's going to work. When Messiah comes, he's going to explain all that to him, to us. And Jesus says, the one who's speaking to you right now, I am he. The Messiah you've been looking for, that's me. I've come. Jesus is announcing his messianic ministry right there to his own hometown crowd. And look what it says, their reaction. Everyone spoke well of him and was may amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Now, don't be fooled by that, that little passage right there because it it's going to, when you read that all by itself, you're going to say, oh, I guess the hometown crowd, they said, great. We've been waiting for you to go public, Jesus. We always knew you had it in you. Nope, that's not the way they felt about him at all. He says, how can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? By the way, I think it's the only place in the gospel where they mention Jesus' father when he's an, a, a kid or an adult, Joseph's son. Otherwise, they just say the carpenter. So isn't this Joseph's son? It, you jump over from Luke chapter 4 over to Mark's gospel and Mark's account of this, and he gives a little more detail. Uh, the hometown crowd there in Nazareth says, where did he get all this wisdom? Where did this guy Jesus, I mean, he's talking, he's speaking eloquently, they're amazed at his teaching, but he says, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then their reaction changes. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. He's not a rabbi. He's not, what are you talking about, anointed by God, a Messiah? He's the carpenter's son. He's the son of Mary. He's the brother of, look, we know his brothers and sisters. He's the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters are right here among us. So apparently after Jesus was born miraculously by the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit, Joseph and Mary had a lot of other children naturally. And they're all there. They're all there in Nazareth. That's their hometown. And they were deeply, the, the whole crowd listening to Jesus now, they were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. Gosh, why would they do that? I mean, he's their hometown boy. So Jesus, here's point number two. Jesus, who is a prophet, he's one who speaks for God, right? He's God's spokesperson, right? He has honor everywhere he goes except in his or her own hometown. Go back to your own hometown and you find out that nobody thinks you're so heroic. Nobody thinks you walk on water. Nobody thinks you're all that in a bag of Doritos. You know, they, they knew you back in the day. They knew you back when, when you were nobody. And sometimes it's really hard to overcome that. And here's the thing I want you to see about Jesus in this moment. Jesus is both the anointed one, where the Spirit of God from, comes down, rests upon him like a dove, where the voice from heaven says, says, this is my beloved son whom I love. Listen to him. You know, he has all of that. He's the anointed one by God. But Jesus, you got to remember, he's also the rejected one. And a lot of people did embrace Jesus in his day. Look at Peter and the apostles and Mary. And they were, they were about 120 people in the upper room when the church began in the book of Acts after Jesus' resurrection. So a lot of people did believe in Jesus, but a lot of people rejected him as well. 
There were many times when people turned away from him, and there's one of them. This story today is one of the rejection times in Jesus' life, and it must have been hard on him. You know, think about it. Think about it and picture yourself. You're a follower of Christ. You have God's Spirit dwelling in you. You have God's Word to guide you. You're praying. You're doing God's will. In fact, whatever you're doing and saying, you're right in the middle of God's will. You're doing God's work. And even if you do all that, it doesn't mean that everyone around you is going to accept you. It doesn't mean everyone around you is going to immediately embrace your activity and ministry and approve of it. A lot of times, you know, people on the other side who do not believe in Jesus, they're going to reject you. They're going to try to stop you. They're going to try to keep you from speaking uh, uh, the good news of the gospel message. So it doesn't mean everyone's going to understand the ministry you're doing. But the point is, if that happens, try to remember this. Try to remember, wow, I'm doing God's work and they're rejecting me. This is awful. Try to remember in that moment, you know what? You're in good company because this is the way they treated Jesus as well in his own hometown. So then Jesus said, you will undoubtedly quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your own hometown like those you did in Capernaum. So Capernaum's like 10, 15 miles away from Nazareth and they're saying, we heard about these miracles you were doing in Capernaum. Do some of the miracles here or show us, show us something miraculous. But they were scoffing at him. They were skeptical. They didn't believe his message, even though he quotes right there from Isaiah's messianic passage. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. No prophet is, is accepted in his own hometown. And now Jesus sort of flips it. He's flipping the script and he's saying, I want to tell you Jewish audience people about God and who God is. And I want to remind you that in the moments when God's people were not following God, that God was still getting his message out, but God was getting his message out to those who would believe it and accept it, even if they weren't, quote, God's chosen people, the Jews. So Jesus tells two stories from the time of the prophets and God's people, the time in the Old Testament, from 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Jesus tells a story from a story about uh, the prophet Elijah and the story about his successor, which is a prophet, Elisha, right? Elijah and Elisha. The first story he tells is about Elijah. And he says, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years, can you imagine the famine? Did we just have Prohibition February here in Sonoma County? What I mean was, was that not a dry month, right? So dry month of February, but that's one month. These guys in Israel were going through three and a half years of no rain, not a drop of rain. And so they're in a time of famine. They're at a time of suffering. And yet he said, Certainly there were a lot of Israel, there were a lot of Israels and widows. There were a lot of widows in Israel during that time. And yet, hmm, what did the story tell you? You guys who know the scriptures, what does the story say? Who was Elijah sent to? Was he sent to an Israelite widow? Uh, no, actually he wasn't. He was sent to a widow outside the borders of Israel, way up north in the city of Sidon. 
That's where God sent Elijah. That's where God did the miracle of the miraculous feeding of them. Remember, she was running out of bread and oil, and miraculously, the, the food never ran out. And then her son dies, and Elijah is called by God, and he prays, and the boy's raised from the dead. So this tremendous miracle happens. Great blessing to this widow who wasn't even an Israelite. So, and, and the whole point that I'm thinking of, oh, I get it. So when God's people were being disobedient in Israel, right? There's a famine in the land. Why is there a famine in the land? Because God told them, he said, look, if you follow me and love me and obey me, I'm going to bless you in every which way. But if you disobey me and you start following other gods and other idols and you start worshiping them instead of me and you reject me, he says, I'm going to shut up the heavens and I'm going to stop the rain, right? So the, so the, the, the terrible famine experience that the Israelites were going through in Elijah's time, that was only a consequence of their own disobedience to God. And so God sends his prophet to go bless a Gentile woman, not an Israelite. And I can see the Nazarene people in the synagogue. They're just going, dude, we just got slapped in the face by this guy right now. We just, we just got rebuked. For, you know, we're scoffing at him saying he's, he's Messiah. And he's talking about a story about God sending one of his prophets to other people outside of Israel because Israel wasn't listening to God. <gasps> Man, I'm getting offended by that. And then Jesus says, oh, and if that story's not, not enough, I'm going to tell you another one. In the time of Elisha, in the time when God's people in Israel, because they'd been so obedient to God for so long, Israel's now getting attacked by a foreign power, and the commander of the Syrian army, the enemy, the arch enemy, he comes to the prophet Elisha, he has leprosy, and Elisha miraculously, through the power of God, Elisha heals this foreign commander of the army, the, the very person who was going to go into battle to defeat the Israelites. And, and the people are going, why would God do that? Why would he go bless a Gentile enemy of Israel? Why would he go bless a Gentile widow outside the land when God's people were in such need? And the answer was because God's people kept rejecting God in their lives. And when God says, look, hey, there is a point at which in a person's life, hey, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Or God, I don't want you to run my life. God, I, I want to keep you over here in a corner. I've got my life to live over here. I just want you to be a little spoke in the wheel. Like picture your, your life as a wheel. God, I just want you to be one of the spokes. But you're not going to be the center of my life. I'm just going to have you a little part of my life over here. And God says, look, I'm not, I can't be that. God says he's either going to be God, he's either going to be the, the center of your life, he's either going to be your Lord, or he's not going to be involved in your life. He says, look, you, you need to give me the steering wheel of your life. I don't want to be just riding along as a passenger in your car. He's going to be the leader. He's the leader, we're the follower. That's the way the Christian life works, Right? And so Jesus is telling this story to the people, and they're going, oh, I hate this. He's like, God is blessing the Gentiles. We're God's chosen people. We're the ones that are supposed to get the blessings. We're the blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Messiah comes along, and he tells stories about Gentiles getting blessed by God. Oh, we hate that. So what's the reaction of the people? Oh, they didn't react very kindly to it, right? So point number three. Jesus offended the Jews 
because he pointed out that God also loved Gentiles as well as them. You know, in Israel, by the time the first century rolled around in Israel, you know, Israelite men were basically praying, God, thank you for blessing me. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm not a woman. And thank you that I'm not a slave. Isn't it interesting, those three categories? I'm not a Gentile. I'm not a woman. I'm not a slave. And then Paul comes up in Galatians and he says, you know, if you're in Christ and Jesus is our common Savior, if we all, the ground is level for everybody at the foot of the cross, no matter where you come from. And he says, for in Christ there's, ne there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You know why? Because you're all one in Christ Jesus, right? So we're all, we, we all equal footing at the cross, no matter what our background is. But these Jews in the first century, they thought they had a special place, special position before God. And, and Jesus says, actually, when Messiah comes, he's going to be Messiah for all nations, not just for the Israelites. He wants to begin with the Jews in Israel, but then he wants to spread that blessing to the rest of the world. And that's why God told Abraham, you know, you follow me, you stay with me, Abraham, and in your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. And now here comes Jesus, and he's going to fulfill all this. God loves the Gentiles just as much as the Jews. He called them out on their prejudice, right? So look at their prejudice. Look at their bigoted reaction there. The next one, it says, when they heard this, these are the people in the synagogue. The people in the synagogue, they were furious. They weren't just like, oh, we just got smacked in the face by this guy who says he's Messiah. We know this guy. He's our hometown Jesus. He's the carpenter's son. Where does he get off talking to us like this? Highly, and, and not just highly offended. So now they're getting all stirred up, jumping up. They, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill. You know what they wanted to do? Uh, you know, the, the synagogue there in Nazareth was on the edge of a hill and there was a cliff. They wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff, have him break his legs or whatever at the bottom of the cliff. And then they were going to pick up rocks and they were going to stone him to death because now he couldn't move. That was their plan. We hate this guy and what he's saying about us. He's saying God loves Gentiles just as much as us. He's saying if you don't listen to God when God comes to you, he's, he's going to take the blessing from you and he's going to put it on those who will listen to the good news message about Jesus. And so those people, they're trying to kill him. They intended to push him over the cliff, but here's Jesus and he says, you know what, I'm just starting my ministry. I've got a long way to go before I get to Jerusalem and the cross. In the Easter season, we just started. It's only 40 days. But in reality, for Jesus, it's three years. So he's got a long way to go, and this was not his time. So he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I don't know if it was a miracle. I don't know if it was one of those God, Holy Spirit, force shields around Jesus when they try to come and grab him. They go, you know, like, like in the movies. Or, or if Jesus had such a commanding, godly presence that they just looked at him and went, whoa. I'm not touching that. And they, and they backed off. And Jesus went on his way. And I want to get to the last point. I want to get to the point about Jesus' ministry because here's what I really love about Jesus, what I need more of in my life when I see Jesus do this. And maybe you need more of this in your life as well. Here's the thing. Jesus, when his audience didn't like what he has to say, when they rejected his message, he didn't just quit. He didn't just give up his preaching and his teaching and his healing. He just said, fine, 
I can't control how you're going to respond to the message, but I tell you what, I've got more ministry to do. There are other people out there that will listen and will hear and will respond appropriately. So he took up his cloak and he got out of town. He didn't quit his ministry. He didn't quit the mission that God gave him. Jesus was not going to let anything drain his anointing. Jesus was not going to let anyone or any group of people, even his hometown crowd, distract him from his mission. Jesus knew he was serving God first, and he wasn't going to bend God's will just to fit those people's expectations. Do we need a little more of that in our life? Do we need a little more got no quit in me? Do you, do you need a little more perseverance in your life? Do you need a little more courage to stand up that, that when you start to feel a little opposition or criticism or rejection, that it doesn't just clam you up immediately? It doesn't just freeze you and make you, you know, tuck your tail and run? We need, some, we need some resilience. As we go on in this 21st century, we need resilience in the body of Christ. Now, I got two spiritual questions checkup questions for you. The first one comes from this perspective of the audience there, the Jewish audience there in the synagogue in Nazareth, in Nazareth right? And here's the, que- the checkup question. How is your heart toward other people in your life? And I, when I say other people, I don't mean like my people, the people that look like me, talk like me, act like me, have my values, you know, uh, prioritize what I prioritize, you know, the, the ones that I have no problem getting along with. I'm not talking about those people. I'm saying, how do you uh, treat, how is your heart bent toward other people? Maybe people from another race, people from another gender, people on the opposite political side. And man, in America, 50-50, split down the middle. We need this so bad. How is your heart toward other people? toward their education level if it's not yours, toward their economic status if it's different from yours, whether you know, you're poor and you're looking down on the rich or whether you're well-to-do and you're looking down on that. that you, you can't do that. You can't see people as other people, right? Are you willing to love everybody just as Jesus did? Because he loved those people. They were his hometown crowd, but they rejected his message and he still loved them. He still believed in them, but he wasn't going to spend any more time with them because he had other people that he had to reach. And he wasn't going to give up his ministry just because the hometown crowd said, eh, we don't like what you're saying. Right? So that's one spiritual que- checkup question. The other question I had is similar to what I just was talking about. And the second question is this. What does it take for you to stop and quit? Friends, church, how, do, how much do we need resilience to not give up easily, to not leave when the relationship gets hard? Yeah, you know, God wants us to have tender hearts, but sometimes we also need to have thick skin. Let me say that one more time. Because <laughs> a lot of people, you know, hey, if I get offended by somebody or I don't like what somebody says or they're getting in my face or they're calling me out on something and I don't like it, you know, so like, we, we have these disposable relationships. Seven billion people in the world. You know, you offend me, I don't need you anymore. I'll go find somebody else. I got Facebook. I got, I got a thousand fake friends on Facebook, right, versus real people in your life. And God calls you in these family relationships, in these marriages, in these 
parent-child relationships. And he's saying, you know what, when it, when it gets difficult, how easy is it for you to just quit or pick up and walk away? To stop when the road gets hard. God calls us to resilience. Jesus is our model for that. He got rejected by the very people who should have embraced him the most. And yet he didn't quit. He kept on because God called him to that mission. And he was going to fulfill that mission that God, that God called him to. How much the Lord Jesus admires endurance and how much he models resilience to us. So he, his job was to continue to seek and to save those who are lost. And he was going to continue that mission until God called him home, right? Worship team, I'm going to ask you guys to come up at this time. I want to ask you guys a question, especially you've been patient, you've been listening. Hopefully you're, you're still tracking with me to some degree. Maybe you, maybe you veered a little bit here and there, but now you're back. And I want to ask you this question. Do you, do you really know what God's heart do you really know what God's heart is for you today? You know, we had that song, Open Our Eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Why? Because I want to see Jesus. And Paul prays this prayer for God's people, and he says, I'm praying that God will open your heart, that the eyes of your understanding will be open, and you can see God for who he really is. You can see Jesus as for who he really is, the Lord, the Messiah, the one who wants to be your Savior, not just the Savior of, quote, the world, but every single human being who's an image-bearer of God that he gave his life on the cross for, and that's you. God, he wants to come into your life. He wants to see, he wants you to see his great love for you today. So today, maybe you've become aware that you're not quite in the relationship with God that you'd like to be. Maybe you're further away from God than you want to be. Rick Warren used to say this, you know, if, if you feel like you're far away from God in your life, guess who moved? It wasn't God. It was you. And so God is calling you back home. He's calling you back to a relationship where you put him first in your life, where you make him the center of your life, where you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And when you're ready to do that, the way that Jesus says that, you know, we say a prayer and we, we receive Christ in our lives, but then when you read the New Testament, it said what everybody did was they made a public confession of their faith in Jesus in the waters of baptism. And next Sunday, we're having a baptism day. And next Sunday, if you want to make that public and you say, you know what, I'm going to draw a line in the sand of my life. And I'm going to say, you know what, from this day forward, whatever I've done in my past, however I've drifted, wherever I've been with God or not been with God, I'm going to draw a line and I'm going to say from this day forward, I'm going to be a loyal follower of Jesus. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be totally like without any faults. And I'm not going to imagine that I'm never going to slip because that's not being human. But I'm going to be consistent and I'm going to be loyal to following Jesus. And you make that public declaration in the waters of baptisms. You die to your old way of life and you're raised to walk in a new life in Christ. If you're ready to do that next week, come see me and come see Lisa. Come talk to us, okay? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, right now, 
We need you to open our eyes, Lord. We want to see things the way that you see them. We want to value the things that you value. We want to see Jesus, Lord, Jesus, the way that you really are. We want to experience your grace and your mercy. Lord Jesus, thank you for helping us to see that you are the Messiah, you're the Son of God, that you are the Savior of the world, and that you have, a, have an everlasting love for us, and you're calling us back to a right relationship with you. Lord, thank you for your patience. Lord, how your word tells us that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So Lord, thank you for being so patient in our lives. And today, we're making that declaration that, that we're going to believe in you and trust in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life on the cross for me to, to pay for all the wrongdoings that, that I have done. Lord, thank you for taking that punishment away. Thank you for giving me your forgiveness and a new heart and a new future and a new hope. God, I love you and I thank you for loving me first. God, help me to follow you faithfully all the rest of the days of my life. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. I love you, Lord, and I pray these things in your name. Amen.